Good morning and welcome to the Leadership Insurance Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Bond, and I'm very lucky today to be joined by Ralph from Coverdash. Um, Ralph, how are you, sir? Are you well? Doing really well. Thanks for having me on the podcast, Alex. Yeah, no, really good to have you on. And um, we were talking about this the other day in our sort of pre-podcast call um, that people might not know we do, but we're, we're much more organised than we sometimes appear or I make us appear. But you and I met. Was it, IT, was it ITI in London or was it ITI New York? I can't remember. It was in New York. Uh, and I think it was in May or something like that, maybe June. Yeah, that's correct. And, and that, was the, that was the first time I realised that, that people actually listen to the podcast. Because <laughs> <laughs> you, you kindly came up and mentioned it. And um, so it's always nice when we get to go full circle and, and, and talk to you. But um, obviously, I've known you since that May time. So um, I know you relatively well. Um, just for the folks at home, people listening in who might not, not know Covered at Nash or yourself, it'd be great if you could just uh, introduce yourself in the Covered Up business. Definitely. Uh, and again, thanks for having me on. Um, so I'm Ralph Batesh. I'm the CEO and founder of Coverdash. Um, and Coverdash is essentially, uh, basically, its sole focus is making insurance accessible to business owners of all shapes and sizes uh, in the U.S. currently. Um, and what we do is, what we do is make the process of buying insurance seamless and frictionless, so customers can come in, um, source the coverage that they exactly need, uh, buy quote, buy, bind, and, and sort of move on with their day um, and, and, and are able to manage that policy effectively through our technology. Um, and that's a huge part of what I think we're bringing to the table is the ability to use technology to make that process of sourcing insurance just easy and seamless. Right, great stuff. Um, so talk to me, what, what we love, we love origin stories. And then, uh, yeah, how did, you know, your co-founder, CEO, how, how did, how did the team come together? Yeah. So, um, I, uh, my co-founder, David Vayner and I, uh, had worked previously in investment banking together in insurance investment banking together. Um, so I brought him onto our team at Scotia and we worked really closely. Um, and then we kind of parted ways and, and went our different, different sort of directions in, in insurance IB. And um, we had stayed in touch pretty actively. Um, and so we had been thinking about different ideas that we can work together that we sort of aligned with the insurance sector. And we knew small commercial was the place that we sort of cared about most. We come from communities and families that are really well oriented in the small business arena. Um, and so when we started to think through how to improve the, the sort of the, the process of, of sourcing coverage as a small business owner is like, that's the place we definitely want to be. That's where we're most passionate about. Um, and David had had connections um, through his own personal friends to, uh, you know, someone who became a really close friend of mine and, and our CTO, Avery Rubin, um, who's been a huge part of the development uh, of, of the technology as well. And so um, I'd say that we've had a, a strong, strong core founding team. So David and I in, in investment banking and, and Avery in sort of the fintech software development space. Um, so that was great. Uh, and uh, another fourth member of the team is really important to us is Perry Raskin, who's on the development side, uh, again, who also comes from the financial services software development sector. That's the, the team of us um, at, the, at the leadership level who are really core to, the, core to what we're doing. Yeah, it's, yeah, always, always great. Um, I'm always jealous when people have a startup team because this is my business. It's, it's the, 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 the founding team is me. Um, and uh, having those people to lean on, I'm, I'm always quite jealous of, particularly when they're, they're as skilled as your team. But 
I'd like to take you back a bit, actually, because that's something that I think you've got really interesting insight from your prior experience. So you were in investment banking, but specifically making investments in, in, in the insurance world, right? Yeah, so we were advised. I've essentially covered all subsectors from a banking standpoint. Um, so carriers, both life and PNC, insurance services, insurance distribution, um, MGAs, MGUs, insurtechs, really all walks of life affirm in the insurance standpoint. Um, and so um, we basically covered some of the largest insurance companies in the country, um, helped advise them on strategy, on M&A transactions, on capital raising transactions. Um, and so we really got an, an opportunity to learn about how the industry works, um, how it had worked fundamentally and how things were changing in real time over the last you know, three to five years. So what, and, and that I suppose leads me to a sort of a fairly obvious question, I suppose, is like, why was Coverdash, you know, you've, you've got this really good view. Um, why was Coverdash the right opportunity, you know, small commercial? What, why was it this opportunity rather than, you know, there's a, there's a myriad of opportunities you could have gone after. Yeah. I mean, so I was a banker covering some of the biz biggest commercial lines carriers in the country. Um, and I specifically took notice of the fact that these, these carriers were focused on really the mega and large case business for the last, I don't even know, 200 years. Um, that was sort of the status quo. It was the way that carriers had shown their investors that they were, they were growing at a top line level. Um, and again, the easiest way to do that is to write the biggest business that you could. And then over the last two or three years, um, there was really a dynamic shift uh, in their appetite. They started to look at the small business arena, the SME space as a way to pick up fragmented premiums without having to go head to head with each other to win business. And for me, that was a really interesting change, something that hadn't been before. Um, and so we started to study different ways that small business owners were actually sourcing insurance. And we, you know, we came to learn, which I'm sure you're not shocked about as well, but we came to learn that, you know, businesses were, were still faxing documents and, and, and sending paper checks and, you know, waiting a week or a month to get coverage. And, and it didn't align with the expectations that, you know, this new wave of small business owners was accustomed to from, you know, a customer service standpoint, from just, you know, a day-to-day -day standpoint. And so we set out to make that process just much more transparent and much more seamless. Mm -hmm. So talk to me about your, your distribution strategy. Um, you know, are you leaning into the traditional market? Are you direct to consumer? What, what, why are you getting out to these customers? I'd say, again, from a Genesis level, we said, okay, process is kind of broken. How can we make it better? Um, so we saw what was out there from an insure tech standpoint, from a digital DTC standpoint, and, and like how business owners were sourcing insurance. Um, and we said, okay, it's, it's kind of broken. You, you know, in some cases you're able to get quotes as a customer, but you're really not because you have to transact via an agent or you're going to get a call back or, or anything else. And so we said, okay, first and foremost, we want to make this process extremely frictionless. Um, so customer can come into our native, you know, flow answer uh, you know a simplified set of questions and walk away with their insurance without having to speak to an agent or do anything else be redirected to a carrier portal or a payment portal um, it'll all sort of go naturally the way they would on any other type of service or product that they were they were transacting online with um, so we set out to build that process um, that took a really long time um, and and so after building it we said we decided okay now that we have a really sort of next level, 
customer experience? How can we get it into the public domain um, and, and, and get it into the hands of the business owners we care so much about? Um, and so we started to look at what everyone else was doing, um, whether it was carriers who were going DTC or digital agencies or digital providers who were going DTC. And, and we came to understand that they were all kind of doing the same thing. They were spending millions of dollars a month on, on Google ad spend and conventional marketing means to reach their customers. And, and again, as a banker, I'm hyper-focused on numbers. And so uh, I started to really look into customer acquisition costs and, and lifetime value of customer metrics. And for me, uh, especially as a, as a startup with limited runway and limited capital, again, we were bootstrapped this company entirely. We hadn't raised a dollar until our, our launch. Um, so we figured there's no way we would compete at, at, at the same sort of rate that any of these other players were. Um, we didn't have the dollars to do it. And so we said, how can we get into their customer, into other sort of customers' hands without having to do that? Uh, and I knew a lot about the affinity sector within insurance. Uh, and I knew that was something that stood in place for you know hundreds of years. And so I thought about how we can utilize an affinity distribution model where essentially we would we would inject our cutting edge insurance experience into platforms that were interacting with customers already and, and enable them with our insurance experience natively in their web environment. So we would go to platforms that already had some sort of customer interaction and add our insurance experience um, into their offering. And so we thought that's a really good idea. It's something that we wanted to pursue. Um, now we have to figure out how to make that, that strategy of embedding that technology into a scalable business model. And, and from a tech and infrastructure standpoint as well. And that's where the technology team you know, at CoverDash came into play. Um, Avery and Perry and, and, and others had, had really spent months developing what is now what we believe uh, the, the sort of cutting edge within embedded tech uh, within commercial lines. So what typically would take other competitors or, or players in embedded insurance around five to six months um, from uh, embedding their experience into a partner's platform takes us 24 hours and it all has been distilled into one line of code. Um, it's something that is scalable and, and, and essentially can go to partners and, and give them the ability to offer insurance to their customer base in their net, native web environment within 24 hours or the next day of business. So that's a huge part of our strategy. <laughs> and uh, I went in a little bit of a circle there, but that, that's the main point. No, 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 not at all. Um, we, we we love circles. Uh, it's usually me going off on an absolute tangent, so it's it's, it's good to it's it's good to have a, a roam on it. The embedded space has obviously got a lot of um, press. Uh, it's been a huge amount of interest. Lots of people offering sort of embedded solutions. Is it just that speed to delivery that's gone wrong, or because I suppose one part of my skepticism, and I do have a little bit of skepticism about it, um, is yeah, what are we actually seeing? Like, are, are people buying embedded policies? Are, are they are they sort of actually sort of taking these up? Um, it's a bit of an unfair question to, to give to you because we've had lots of embedded players and I probably haven't asked this, but you know, I, th I think that's the question to answer. Are people actually engaging with it? Are they buying with it? And 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 if they haven't been, you know, what's where do you think that's gone wrong in the past? Yeah, so I'd say. Uh, first wave of InsurTech when it comes to embedded was focused on probably personal lines, you know, actual customer type stuff, warranties and things like of that nature. Um, the, the goal of embedded in general is right, a one click addition to a purchasing experience. Uh, so naturally, 
you'd think if if you were reaching customers or or personal insurance, that's that's a way to go. Um, I think now in the next wave of of embedded, uh, the the goal is to reach the, the business owners themselves, and that becomes a little bit more complicated. Commercial lines risk is a little bit harder to underwrite. Um, there's a lot of of sort of nuance to it in certain cases, and so. Uh, the first attempts at commercial lines embedded have have failed because of the of the customer experience. Whether that's because uh, carriers require uh, or don't have the capabilities, had not had the capabilities to support a fully end to end workflow. So you would embed your insurance experience into a partner's platform, but you'd have to redirect the customer out of that net native partner's web environment to um, a payment portal or to um, the carrier's website. So it's basically just a redirect link. And and you know partners are not keen to to sort of move forward when you're when you're taking attention and web traffic away from what they do at, at their core. Um, and so for us, we were hyper focused on on enabling partners to host an end to end experience, fully frictionless, where the customer can can sort of be their customer journey is expanded or broadened, um, and and as opposed to sort of sort of detracting, if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah, because it's that, that that brand loyalty piece is really interesting. Because one of the things that I've always said about embedded is, is that you you're trying to, you know, yeah, Coverdash, for example, you're you're trying to work with partners where their brand value to their customer base is is the, the selling point of of the insurance proposition, and then anything that takes them out of that. And you and I discussed this example about you know. EasyJet and easy, I've never bought an insurance policy off of off EasyJet, but I've probably flown with EasyJet a hundred times. Um, I know I'm a, I'm a flashy guy um, with my budget airline flights, but um, because if I see the name of that insurer, um, I almost cynically go, I bet I can get that cheaper elsewhere. But strangely, I think if you just branded it and, and it didn't take me away from that kind of experience. I, in a way, I might feel more inclined to kind of make that purchasing decision. And, and travel insurance is not a good example. A better example would be me buying my cover for my recruitment business through maybe my recruitment software provider, something like that. You know, there's there's a brand loyalty to that that knowledge, that kind of understanding of my industry. Um, which which comes with that, and that, and it's clear that the kind of the clunkier those processes have been, um, you're losing the kind of what I think is the magic of an embedded solution anyway. Um, why did you target these specific? Because at the moment you've launched targeting specific industries, um, freelancers, etc. Is is there something unique about those sectors? Do you just think they're accessible from a kind of partnership perspective? Yeah. So uh, at the core. We, we looked at going back to the genesis again, we looked at sectors of the SMB and SME space that we felt were underserved from an insurance standpoint for one reason or another. And two industries that really stood out to us as being highly tech enabled, had constituents who were really sort of um, accustomed to a tech enabled experience um, and, and were in high growth mode were the e-commerce merchant landscape, um, which uh, as of about a year or so ago, um, any Amazon merchant uh, that sells over 10K a month in, in revenue are required to have a GL insurance, for instance, is a sector that, you know, now needed insurance, but there was no direct um, solution for, for, for um, merchants to go after. And so we said, if we were able to 
help accomplish those requirements in, in, in our offering, that would be a great sector to to go after because um, we know it so well. We're well entrenched in, in sort of that that networking community of, of service providers in the e-commerce landscape. Um, and so that was one sector we attacked. And the other was the freelance sector. Uh, that one, you know, the freelance sector as a whole across the globe has grown so substantially, whether it's platforms like Fiverr and Upwork or others um, that are that are sort of making it easier for people to work remotely and, and at their own schedule and pace um, has grown so much. And when you look at how how insurance sort of functions from from that standpoint, from the freelance standpoint, it's an insane amount of underinsured um, and, and dislocation of risk within that sector. And so we felt like if we were able to make the process of sourcing coverage for freelancers much more seamless and simple, much more transparent, um, and, and help educate them honestly on how important business insurance is to you as a freelancer, that it was another sector that we felt we can be supportive of. And so those are two sectors, but we're going after the broad small business arena as a whole. Um, yeah. The goal is, you know, there are some sectors that require insurance of their, you know, business owners, whether that's like, again, the e-commerce landscape, some sectors of freelance um, or others, you know, we can make the, from, from a partnership standpoint, we can make the process for their customers, um, their sellers, their merchants to get the insurance that's being required of them insanely seamless and simple um, and enable them to answer, you know, a few short questions in the platform they trust most and be, you know, sourcing the coverage that, that is being required of them and good to go within, you know, minutes. So that is one of the use cases that that we're really going after. Sure. Did you um? And are you set up as a digital MGA, right? You see, you're providing the capacity as well. It's not just it's not it's not just the technology. So we're not an MGA. We're we're a, a broker that's licensed across all 50 states, um, and that was a conscious decision. Capital Light is really important. Um, and is something that we value tremendously. Um, we're an impartial broker of, of the carriers that we've cultivated, and we've been really selective about who we're partnering with um, and, and basically put together what we believe to be one of the broadest panels that encompasses the small business sector as a whole. Mm -hmm. um, did, did you, you obviously considered the MGA route, or was that, or did you? I mean, did you write that off? Because you've got an interesting background to kind of have a view on that. And I yeah. was wondering, from a valuation standpoint, I would imagine an MGA is te technically a more valuable proposition. Um, is that is that a potential future pathway for you? The economics are better, and it was something that we evaluated very uh, very deeply. Um, but you'll see in you know the current age with an insure tech, people going after being an MGA right off the bat um, without having a reason to, right? Like. For, for us, we didn't have a reason to go down the MGA path because we didn't have an underwriting edge, to be honest. We didn't have lost data that, that would lead to us writing business more effectively. Um, we needed to build that data set to build our, our value prop before thinking about taking on the risk ourselves. Um, and, and so you know, we went with the partners on the carrier side who had that you know, expertise of, of underwriting um, and who knew the sectors that we were going after. And, and together we built an approach around you know, cultivating extremely good pricing um, and, and also a, a cutting edge service. Um, now down the road, as we build um, our, our sort of information and, and, and an understanding of different subsectors of, excuse me, S and B, um, the MGA path or the risk bearing path is something that we're going to be actively exploring as well. Sure, sure. Yeah, no, it's, it's a great 
way of approaching it as well. And I think um, it's lovely to hear uh, an InsureTech founder say we don't have an underwriting edge. Um, I've had to sit quite patiently in front of quite a few that think they do, and I'm, I'm, I'm not always entirely sure that they do. Um, so it's quite, it's quite nice to hear. Um, I think um, something that struck me about Embedded, and, and I wonder what your thoughts are on this, is that you've talked you know, quite passionately about kind of customer experience and, and, and embedding it. But how do you create that loyalty when you know, Embedded by its nature has less frequent touch points um you know from your kind of perspective how do you how do you build loyalty to and create sticky customers yeah so i mean it's customer service at its core so we have built again a, a system that's really seamless to navigate but we also built a cutting edge customer experience um through human elements as well so we have a licensed team of, of agents that are available to customers at all hours of business um, who are there to support point of sale questions, post-sale questions, um, and all things alike. So the goal for us was to build a customer experience that emulated that brick and mortar, mom and pop, hand-holding um, experience that, that people were so accustomed to, but take it to, the, to, to sort of the next level from an evolutionary technology standpoint. So at the core, again, everything about our company is driven off technology and, 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 and sort of making things seamless for our agents, for our customers. Um, but we still care tremendously about supporting them on the day-to-day -day and giving them that, that sort of customer experience that they really need um, when it comes to insurance. Yeah, because the education piece, you touched on it earlier. I think, I think for me, that's a huge gap in small business owners and small business ownership. And, you know, I've, I've talked so many times on this podcast about, you know, for a man that works in insurance and, and provides recruitment services and has done for 17 years into the insurance industry, I know a staggeringly small amount about my own insurance policy. Um, embarrassingly, at one point, I had to had to find it, who it was by looking at my bank statements, going, "Who do we pay every month for our insurance?" <laughs> um, it's Mark Hell, by the way. Um, uh, <laughs> but but the lack of education with consumers—they don't know what they're buying, they don't know what they need, they don't know what coverage they need—and technology goes a long way to solving that problem. But but I think that reassuring human element is is actually still super valuable um even if it's you know for the first time you buy it so you have kind of have this kind of understanding um yeah you know. I, I think you know a lot of insurtech founders or you know trailblazers who want to say like the agent channel is dead or the distribution channel of human elements is dead like i totally don't agree with that at all I, it'll never die human elements are core to people understanding complicated things like insurance but, you know, that doesn't mean you can't make that experience much more seamless through technology and automation, but, but helping, you know, customers is, is core to the premise of insurance and, and the financial system as a whole. So agents are core to what we do and what the system's going to do um, forever, I imagine. Yeah, it's that classic thing of like, let's use technology to give people a better experience. It doesn't mean that you, you know, remove people from the process i was thinking this uh i was in a supermarket in the in the uk and i was queuing up for these like the self-service checkout desk and we we're all being yelled at like we're cattle by this person who's in charge and i was like is this really a better experience <laughs> <laughs> you know? yeah. i was thinking i might be getting through quicker but i really genuinely like i was just like being berated by this kind of angry woman that's directing us at these um 
you know, tills and, and that she has a hard job and it was a busy period of the day, but you, you're just thinking, I don't feel like I've got a better experience. And then what you risk is, you know, supermarkets is a great example. It's a ubiquitous product, right? There, there's, there's four or five major you know, supermarket retailers around where I live. I go to one, if I have a terrible experience, probably go to another one like the, the prices are kind of fairly similar so it's similar to insurance in that respect so you know me having a good customer experience matters because you know insurance is also one of those things i don't it's not a grudge purchase for me because it does offer me security and what i do particularly the professional indemnity side of it but the uh, i don't i'm not in love with the idea of buying insurance i don't i don't, I don't desperately I don't desperately want to change. I'm, I'm quite happy to be convenienced, but if I had a bad customer experience, I would obviously move. So yeah, it's interesting how that's been forgotten. Um, one thing I wanted to kind of ask you about is that, you know, we're doing this at quite an interesting time. You just announced uh, your, your, I think it was your seed round, wasn't it, that you just just announced and, and oversubscribed, which was um, is a nice thing to see. Um, why do you think you were oversubscribed? Uh, when people have struggled to raise money recently, it's, it's been it's been talked about that people have, have had difficulty. Perhaps not at seed round. I think this this seed in Series A has been difficult. Um, and and how do you think that insure tech investment landscape has changed from the kind of messaging you're getting from your investors versus what it was maybe twelve months ago? Yeah, definitely. Um, I'll say that again. We bootstrapped the company in totality. Um, yeah, up until that point and and got you know we took an approach that was pretty different when you think about how companies have started up in insure tech land um it's been like get to market as quickly as you possibly can prove the concept out you know make some money then raise some capital um yeah. and the technology sort of lagged behind that um for us our approach is kind of flipped on its head so we said we want to build this entire experience out to be the best it possibly can before we even let it touch the market like we don't want to optimize as we're going we want we want it to be like at a level that you know, is is up to par with what we're, we're trying to do before we even, you know, get to the market. So we we bootstrapped aggressively. Um, and it's not something that's super easy, you know, taking a year off of salary. It's not, not easy, especially being a first time dad and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. But we did it. Um, and I'd say, you know, when I was going starting to think about raising capital, I, I went to founders and, and fintech founders that I knew in, in sort of my circle um, and others who I was getting closer and closer to. And, and I was kind of advised that, that we really shouldn't waste our time with it. It's, it's the most challenging market environment over the last 10 years for seeded and Series A founders um, trying to raise capital. And, um, and I said, like, listen, I think that we can sort of demonstrate our, our, our sort of differentiated approach and, and why, you know, you know, what, we're doing something that's different than everyone else. Um, and so I went after it anyways, um, uh, pretty diligently um, and took a gamble. And we came to the market with a really high level of receptivity from the VC landscape and from just the insure tech community as a whole. Um, and I think it's a testament to what we built um, and an approach that we've taken that's pretty different, right? So um, I would say, for us, a big part of the reason we were able to, to generate so much traction on sort of the capital raising side has been the the, the sort of professional environment that we've cultivated with all of our backgrounds. Um, but again, more, more specifically around having a fully fleshed out product um, and approach that we knew was going to be successful before, you know, touching down and trying to, you know, you know, raise that, that capital. So I think that's a really big part of it. 
yeah it's it, it, evolving the, the the product and the business to a to a state where you it's more complete um yeah it, 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 it that's sort of reflective of i think how the landscape has changed um how long did the kind of uh, fundraising process take? What, what, what was kind of start talking to investors to kind of closing the round? It went much faster than we thought, uh, or I, I would have imagined. Um, so it was probably, you know, eight weeks in totality. Um, and again, I've never, never done uh, much of that before from like a capital raising side. Again, I was a banker doing bigger transactions and, and supporting those types of processes that can sometimes take us six months or a year. Um, but for us, it went pretty quick. Um, and, and again, I, I found that founders who have supported us through and through um, had made introductions that really meant a lot. And, and I'd say if there are any founders who are, who are watching this, who are trying to raise capital, one of the biggest tips that I've given to people who've come to me is like, you know, reaching out cold emailing is something that I do on the day to day, and I'm really aggressive about it. Um, but one thing I learned is getting an introduction from a founder um, who's in your court, who is, you know, well trusted and well respected by other, you know, investors or, or people in general, um, goes a really long way um, and, and, and sort of leads to a high level of conversion for you as someone who's trying to get a conversation. And so that's a big thing that I've you know, given a piece of advice that I've given to folks who, who are trying to navigate a similar experience. Mm, that's such a good um, piece of advice. And it's something that we've, I think it's universally true, right? In, in business full stop, is it? In our industry, like we get, we get more business via a referral from someone we already know. We obviously do sort of cold outreach and, um, I won't lie, it's still the worst part of my job. Because <laughs> you're just starting from a position of, of, of no knowledge whatsoever, you know, always, you know, the cold nature of it, it's, it's difficult. You've got to build trust in that. You've got that sort of borrowed trust. And, you know, we, we speak with quite a lot of venture capital firms and we, we always try and make engagements for people if, 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 if we think it's a good idea. And sometimes people have been on the podcast and we've tried to help them out and, even having our view on it just to say look, these are good people that come across quite well see what you think and then and then it's over to them it's it's really interesting do you think um i wanted to hear your reflection on the conversation was always about uh, venture-backed businesses let's say 12 months ago were scale 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 at all costs don't worry about profitability the dynamics very much shifted and it appears to be get to profitability as quickly as possible. Were the conversations you having with investors much more focused on speed to profitability than, than maybe you might have expected previously? Um, I would say for me in general, as, as sort of a founder, like organic and healthy businesses is what I am accustomed to or, or am, am trying to build. Like some businesses basically can use VC money as gasoline on a fire and just make that fire start to spread widely. Um, and, and it makes sense. It, it depends on the model. Um, but for us, we're, we're growing aggressively, but not too aggressively. Like uh, our view is we need to scale our business and our operation. Um, but also keep in mind how to do that in a controlled manner. Um, and like, I'm not scaling for scaling sake. And now, especially in this cab in this sort of, um, 
economic environment that can be challenging and something that we are going to need to navigate for 12, 24 months. Um, you know, we're, we're really focused on extending our runway as far as possible on, on sort of maintaining our burn to be the lowest that, that we can. Um, but also keeping in mind that the only way to try this premise and this business out in totality is to, to grow and grow aggressively. So um, I did see that there was a lot of VC focus around having a plan to keep your business afloat over uh, you know a challenging economic environment um, and to not just grow for growth state sake, uh, but I think that was already built into our premise and our and our approach. So um, that's a big thing that I think has changed in general over the last twenty four months from an investing standpoint. <clears throat> Thanks, Ralph. Sorry, I'm just having a mild coughing fit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so if you might have some editing to do. Um, I'm just going to wrap things up then before I lose my voice entirely, but you've raised this seed round. What does this next year hold for you? Next year is focused on reaching customers as aggressively as we can. And, you know, the way that we're going to do it is it, through embedded partnerships, which we've talked about. The hope is that we're going to be adding you know, a bunch of partners on a monthly basis who can now start offering insurance on their platforms to their existing customers and again, extend their customer journey even further. Um, and not only that, and something I didn't mention is, is again, we're still focused on a DTC approach. Customers can come to our website and get you know insurance just like they can through any of our embedded uh, partners as well. And so for us, it's making our, our, our experience that we've spent so much time cultivating and developing um, to be sort of in the full public domain and being utilized by business owners across the nation. Um, and, and again, the hope is that business insurance starts to become more seamless, more transparent um, for the business owners that we care so much about. Brilliant, lovely message. And obviously res resonates really well with me as, as including myself in that category. So <laughs> Ralph, thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast. Um, it's, it's a real pleasure to do this real 360 journey with you and, and speaking to your ITI. Uh, will I see you at ICI this year in New York? Will you be there? Uh, yeah, I'll be there, hopefully. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Well, good. I'm looking forward to that. Perhaps we'll manage to go grab a coffee or, or perhaps something a bit stronger. But um, thank you once again for being a guest on the podcast. Uh, absolute pleasure. And congratulations on the journey so far. Thank you, Alex. Really appreciate you having me and look forward to being another, you know, on another episode soon. Awesome. Thank you.